Welcome to this recording of the Activist Lawyer podcast brought to you from the Granite Podcast Studio in the heart of Newry City. We are delighted that you could join us at Activist Lawyer, a new podcast and online forum where we will be discussing all sorts of matters, including current issues as they unfold. We'll be engaging not only with lawyers, but people who are committed to highlighting and combating injustices and inequalities. We will bring you our thoughts and invite you to share yours. We'll be looking for contributors to our blog at www.activistlawyer.com as we want your perspective as we unravel and unpack so many important topics. My name is Sarah Henry and I am a solicitor practicing in Newry City. I worked with a human rights firm in Dublin for many years and with a number of rights-based organisations and charities. So today I am delighted to be joined by Sinead Marmion. Hi Sinead. Hi, thanks for having me. Not at all, thank you for coming down. So Sinead is a solicitor dealing with asylum and immigration cases primarily. She has an LLM in Human Rights Law at Queen's University and is fluent in French. She's currently working with Phoenix Law in Belfast, which is a very established and up and coming and growing firm. And so like myself, Sinead works on kind of work on similar, I suppose, immigration related issues and family reunions, spies and fiance visas and a lot of the European treaty rights and a lot of the new stuff coming in as a result of Brexit. Um, so Sinead um, as well is also a member of ILPA, which is the Immigration Law Practitioners Association. And I've just joined her on that as uh, one of the conveners of that. So it's, yes. it's exciting for us to work together on that. She's also a committee member of the Law Society's Immigration Practitioners Group and has the responsibility of Phoenix Law's Charity Committee together with Harry Robinson. God, you're a busy, <laughs> busy, busy, it's busy woman, uh, Sinead. Um, so, and thank you for taking time out of your day to join us here. So uh, we've had a little bit of chat. Sinead would often have me at the end of the phone Given an old rant uh, here, always ranting, <laughs> always ranting. Is it just immigration practitioners and people in human rights that, that have a good rant, or do you think it's across the board? <laughs> I think I don't know. I feel like we're a special breed of, special of ranters. Breed. Well, your firm, Phoenix Law, that you're working in, it's quite a new firm. I think it's only a few years old. It's only just over two years old. So, and the amount of work and cases that you've undertaken collectively, and I know your specialism is very, very niche and very, very particular but really it must be so interesting working yeah within that and they're all they're all such amazing lawyers um so I feel really lucky to you know have the, have them all around me and yeah I mean the cases that go on you're just like there's so much happening in this office you know there's just so much activity and big cases and so wide-ranging and such high profile cases I'd Mm -hmm. say it's just like a hive of activity constantly Constantly. but that's very exciting and just I suppose just you've such a strong media present and uh, presence you know and people become familiar with the individual solicitors names and certain cases and matters that they're acting on across Ireland I think there'd be representation as well for a lot of cases in the Republic Mm -hmm. of Ireland so so interesting. Well, today we're going to focus on, unsurprisingly, <laughs> immigration related topics. And I think the theme of um, obviously this podcast is activist lawyer. And we all know where that little yeah. phrase came from. <laughs> and I think our first um, series, Sinead, we ta- spoke about the language and it was about language and insults and how the legal profession were really being dealt you know, a heavy blow. So what, what was your take as a as a fellow ranter? As a fellow <laughs> ranter, well, I was delighted to be called a, a 
do-gooder. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can't, what's wrong with a do-gooder? <laughs> I can't believe that it was, you know, said in such a negative way. And, mm. you know, you'd almost be hurt by that. But um, my take on it was just that, you know, it's a wider issue. It's not just about immigration cases and, you know, challenging and calling out the Home Office on their poor decision making. But it's a wider issue of, you know, the rule of law, mm-hmm. democracy, uh, you know, as a whole. And, you know, where our country's heading. Yeah. You know, it's, it's just so dangerous, actually, isn't it? It's such a dangerous totally rhetoric. Dangerous. It just, I mean, it makes me want to work much harder. Mm-hmm. Um, and it makes me want to stand up even more. Um, yeah. Although it is dangerous and, you know, you're obviously going out there and potentially putting a target on yourself. But I think that, um, you know, the ethos, I suppose, of Phoenix Law, mm. you know, what we all do is, is stand up. If you can't stand up, you're not doing your job. Yeah. And stand up proudly and openly and, you know, really represent your clients. And I guess that's what most anybody working in rights based areas of law will do. And I think we, we did speak about that, that people took it and owned it, th- exactly. this comment. So, of course, the listeners, what we're referring to is Pretty Patel and, and others, not just mm-hmm. um, the Home Secretary, but others referring in a derogatory way to immigration lawyers in particular, but lawyers who really hindered the process and were being made um, scapegoats for the asylum crisis that the UK is experiencing at the moment, despite the fact mm-hmm. that the Tory government have been in power for, for 10 years and this has been yep. an ongoing issue. But it seems to me, Sinead, I think whenever there's an issue um, like the pandemic now or a massive failing in um, the economy of a country, people turn to migrants. Yeah. And it- why do you think that's the case? Well, it's that word you said a minute ago, it's scapegoating, isn't yeah. it? Um, you know, where the spotlight is on migrants, um, people that we can visibly see in all the papers on a boat coming into our country. Who are they? They're going to take everything. Um, there's just this whole narrative and it all is scapegoating. And the reason is it f- it's, it's focusing away for our own inward self-reflection and what our own feelings are as a country. And I suppose the government um, needs to, you know, have somebody to point the blame on. It's always going to be migrants because they don't have a vote. Let's be honest, they don't have a vote. So, you know, they don't don't have have a a voice. voice. Exactly. And I think it's becoming, there seems to be a real brazenness about it, though. And despite the fact that they, you know, may have deleted a tweet here and there, they really did not offer up in any way an apology, either to the profession or the communities that they've absolutely offended and insulted. And on the contra- contrary, um, they seem to have gone on to celebrate mm-hmm. wins, as they would call it. Like, you know, this week we turned around three yep. boats. And it's just every time I see it, I just get so irate. How is that yep. a win? It's so sad that that's, you know, the way we've... It is. And it's actually a wee bit exhausting to keep looking mm. at this stuff because it's like this is the narrative that's being pushed and pushed as if it's the truth. Um, there's so many legal errors within what they're even saying. Mm. Um you know, there was one this week, I think, about um, turning back people to France and Germany who had mm-hmm. cla- previously been there and they'd come to the UK to claim asylum. Um, and they'd said that, you know, people must claim asylum in the first safe country they, they reach. That's from. not yeah. in the law. No, it's not. And I've seen that before and they've used that and they seem to be using it more the Dublin, to the, you know, relying on their interpretation of that yeah but um i recently listened to um a show where by the 
somebody was representing um, asylum seekers, I think it was a lawyer, but they were saying, again, pointing that out, that you're erring in the law and that is not, in fact, the case. Mm-hmm. But um, it doesn't really matter because the, they're a powerful you know, it's the government after mm. all. They have millions behind them when it comes to marketing. So their messaging will get out there. Mm-hmm. And it's the same as the Brexit campaign, you know, the the, the Leave totally. campaign. They had, I mean, that was a machine, you know, and whether mm-hmm. they were spouting out correct information or not, it did not matter. So when people hear about the problems that we have are as a result of migrants clogging up the system yeah. and the NHS is all down to this... They, believe, they tend to believe it unless they know the reality. And, you know, so it is so dangerous, this language. Totally. Know? And knowing the reality, as you say, it's very difficult to do. It's a complex system. The legal system around asylum and immigration law is, um, I think one judge described it as a labyrinth. You know, yeah. it's just completely nuts to navigate you know yourself I do and this is why we're constantly ranting on the phone I could never call myself an expert in it because it just changes so often and I think um, kind of moving on a wee bit but it's good that we I think in Northern Ireland there's a small group Mm -hmm. of us and you know there's great collaboration there and sharing everybody's you know maybe specialising a little bit more in another area so it's nice to share that but again I think all of us um, all of this got all of our backs up no matter what Mm -hmm. and I think the group itself was very responsive and I know the Law Society of Northern Ireland put out a statement straight away I think the bar did yeah, as well the bar did too yeah and this, the society was very good to stand up because you know in Northern Ireland we have had our past where um, human rights lawyers have been targeted mm-hmm. and killed yes um, we need you need to take a stand I mean in England I'm sure you'll he- have heard of um, the attack on the lawyer in, in Duncan Lewis, England's largest That's immigration right. firm. And yeah. that Pretty Patel knew that knew about that mm-hmm. um through her own government's terrorism investigation unit. Mm. She still went on to brief at the Conservative Party con- conference that um there were activist lawyers and frustrating a process, a legal process of returning migrants. It's just so upsetting. It's, it is. It's upsetting. It's hard to get your head around and hard to believe that that's the government who's spouting this information and it's completely unacceptable and nobody should take it. But I do think the positive thing is that people have grabbed on to, you know, the derogatory <laughs> in, in inverted commas terms and we've run with it and you can see it on Twitter. People are using <laughs> it as their handle. So it's great in that respect. And, you know, it's really brought practitioners together. Totally. Whether you practice in human rights or not, people really stood together and said, this is an absolute disgrace. Do not mm-hmm. attack our, our profession. But the other big messaging that I'm seeing this week is a fantastic celebration from the Home Office of, yes, it's an end to free movement. Delightful. I can't. I just don't understand. A lot of people want 2020 over except for immigration lawyers. We don't (laughs) want it. We want the transition period. So the big date in our our minds as Mm -hmm. practitioners is always the 31st of December. And I know there's a a kind of a grace period after that for within which certain applications that would kind of hold on to some of the free movement entitlements can be made. And after that... (laughs) It's all over. Yep. Sinead, how do, you, how do you come to terms with this? Because for me, I'm devastated. I, I was actually about to say <laughs> devastated because it means we have to reteach ourselves yeah. everything from scratch. <laughs> and also, I, that's a selfish reflection of it. But in terms of the clients, I just think there's a huge amount of people that don't know what's coming. Yeah. I think that, you know, I'm advising people even now saying, so Brexit happened. 
we are still in a transition period. After this date, mm-hmm. you will have no rights. I'm sorry. I don't yeah. know what's going to happen after Apologies. that. Apologies. Yeah. And it's the same. This morning, I was advising clients um, who are from Northern Ireland relying on their British passports living in the Republic. And mm-hmm. again, of course, this does not just impact people in the UK. This impacts British people across the EU mm-hmm. and how their rights are going to be curtailed. Totally. You know, didn't they think of this? But anyway, it's it's on its way. I hate the messaging. I hate that it's about attracting the brightest and the best mm-hmm. and that this is only a positive move. It's much more, uh, they've even gone as far to say it's a more liberal system. We're not just going to attract people based on where they're from, but their skill set. So that makes it a much more fairer system. The reality is we have built up years, decades of case law as well to protect citizens' rights. Mm -hmm. It's been so well established. It infiltrates all of our lives in many respects that we don't even think about. It's so seamless, the whole prospect of moving freely within the EU. And for that to come to an end is is seismic and it's It's so difficult to get your head around. It's huge. And like even within the UK, Northern Ireland, we're we're so different to the rest Mm -hmm. of the UK in terms of our... um, you know what our industries are here and the how much we rely on migrant workers um often to do in quotation marks the dirty work yeah um you know in chicken factories picking vegetables i think you said to me earlier about you know sorting recycling yeah absolutely all these jobs that you know we have a huge amount of labor force for that just Mm -hmm. are gonna that's gonna this you know, the floor is going to be pulled out from and under them. It and, will be. And that's our lo- that's local businesses that are going to collapse as a result. Yeah. So, and, and there's no regional adaptation for Northern Ireland compared to the rest of the UK. I mean, migrant workers in London are treated as the same as migrant workers in, you know, Dungannon. Exactly. And there's been no consideration that our closest competitor here, especially us in Uri, is five minutes down the road, mm-hmm. you know, and absolutely no consideration for border region areas. The whole, um, the, even the scheme, the EU settlement scheme, the whole frontier worker permit now, again, no real consideration. So for us in particular, I do think that Northern Ireland is really going to feel this more than because of our geography mm-hmm. and our makeup and our huge reliance on on migrant workers and you know they've been deemed low skilled low you know these people are (laughs) building our economy I mean the economy is built on what they're doing and um, the fact that so many jobs in the area have been created because of these companies able to grow and I mean it's just it just beggars belief that this can be celebrated and I mean if if they really want to celebrate why don't they celebrate all those low-skill workers in the NHS Mm. that you know people have been clapping for on a Thursday do you know exactly so we forget about how that contribution is so so valid and so just written off really totally written off low-skilled does not mean what does that mean nothing I just think it's it shouldn't be ever it shouldn't be applied I mean everybody brings value and I think it's just a, a matter of absolute disrespect and I just don't know what what's ahead I really don't in terms no. of for us as practitioners immigration I mean we know the rules that have been we know a few processes that have been put in place mechanisms to protect you know people who are already here but w- none of us know no. what's around the corner. This podcast is sponsored by Granite Exchange. Do you need an office or a meeting room space? Granite Exchange is the ultimate serviced office and meeting room facility. 
Located in the heart of Newry City, it is perfectly placed between Belfast and Dublin. Each office suite is fully furnished and comes with an all-inclusive monthly fee with no long-term contract. All you have to do is show up and switch on. The rest is taken care of. For more information call 028 3044 2500 or visit www.granite-exchange.com. So moving on a wee bit from our post-Brexit mm-hmm. um, immigration world, um, you do a lot of very difficult work as well. And I know years ago, and I, I was rambling on a bit um, to Sinead before we started about my time spent in Dublin and dealing in the first area I went into was asylum Mm-hmm. and refugee law and dealing with unaccompanied minors as somebody who was just fresh out of college and I have to say probably every day of life I went home and, and cried because it was such you know difficult work to deal with so you are dealing in that day in day out that type of work and yeah. it's how do you manage it and what type of work are you doing? So um, there's a couple of practitioners in Northern Ireland do, doing this type of work mainly um Myself and two other ladies, Barbara and Maria, I'll give them a shout out. They're in the Children's Law Centre and they're fantastic. Hi, Um, Barbara and Maria. Hello. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So there's a couple of us doing this kind of work. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, I love this work. This is why I wanted to be a lawyer Mm -hmm. to do this work. But, you know, when you're young and, you know, fresh, you think, Oh, I want to be a human rights lawyer. Yeah. I want to do this work. I want to help people. Yeah. I want to help children. Yeah. <laughs> but then when you're sitting down and, you know, doing these cases, it's a whole different world. It's a real wake up call mm-hmm. as to to what's going on in the world and what's going on in other countries. The trauma that people suffer getting here to save their lives, you know, traveling through Europe, traveling across the Mediterranean, mm-hmm. being bought and sold. You know, it's just um, something that you think isn't real but is actually happening all around us and um I don't know how do I deal with that I don't know (laughs) I just you just have to fight really hard you just fight all the time um and you start to get used it's it's hard to say but you start to get used to the you know the the type of work I suppose and maybe a little bit I don't like to say hardened, hardened. to it, mm-hmm. but because it becomes your daily, you know, job, it's what you do. But you're always going to be impacted, I know. you know, in some way by because it's it's hard going. It mm-hmm. is, and it, it. But again, you know, you could say like, oh, that's an Eritrean case, so that'll be oh, that'll be an alright mm-hmm. case because you know that's about um, child conscription in the army. So I'm, I'm happy enough with that case, mm-hmm. and that's a real like really sanitized view of the, of a file, like how it'll, how it will potentially go. You know, I think this will get this yeah. child will get asylum, but behind that, you know, you have a child sitting in front of you, yeah. and it's each child when you meet them and talk to them, it like breaks your heart all over again because, you know. It's everyone is different. You can't just set them down to oh, just another Eritrean case. You know, yeah. it's this is a child that, you know, had a few. You know, hadn't got a future in their own country. They couldn't stay with their family because it would mean no future for them. And just seeing a wee human in front of you that's been through all of that and had the absolute, you know, strength to get here. Yeah. It's just unbelievable every time you meet a new child. 
Absolutely. I just it just brings back memories for me as well. And in that type of work, you know, you know, and you'd even go before in in those days, it was before the Refugee Appeals Tribunal. I used to work in Dublin and it was also matter of fact, you know, and Mm -hmm. the presenting officer was there and they were Mm -hmm. making a decision. And it was but because, like you say, you you knew, you know, whether it was a young person or a child or a person who'd suffered severe abuse and you got to know the client, you know, Mm -hmm. and they would have other support mechanisms there you know they might have a social worker and you know but sometimes they didn't and they were very lonely individuals who maybe didn't speak the language and you couldn't just um, separate yourself well I couldn't I find it very hard just to separate myself and that and just focus on on the legal side of it Mm -hmm. and so it's difficult and how I remember that was years ago. I'm not going to reveal my age like mm-hmm. I'm not that old. But um, in those days, there wasn't any support. Um, how do you, do you think things have changed for practitioners, uh, Sinead, who work in, in these areas of law? Definitely, yeah. Because um, the in Northern Ireland, there is, there's legislation that says that each child should have an independent guardian mm-hmm. appointed um, to advocate for them on their behalf mm-hmm. for through, you know, childcare services through the trusts or um, with their lawyers or at court just somebody to hold their hand and you know all the checks and balances are done for that person and that is such an that's by um, Bernardo's runs that service and Mm -hmm. I have such a good relationship with the guardians they're amazing they are amazing people I've never met such amazing people and they are like if I didn't have them in the case there would just be that kind of grey cloud sitting over where the child will be brought through the you know the legal processes but you know there's no comfort in that there's no you know when a, ch- a child comes in and I unpick their scars you know mm-hmm. uh, you know you just pick up pick everything away and yeah. then they go away into the world again feeling like they've lived everything all over again Aww. so the guardian you know helps them through that process but it's it's actually helped me learn about mm-hmm. trauma yeah and about how to deal with trauma and how to deal with children with trauma and it's not just about the legal side of things in this job. You have to know how your work actually affects somebody. Mm-hmm. And that's not something you're ever taught. No, it's not. Ever. And I do know both of us are members of ILPA. Um, I referred to you in the introduction um, as being a member. And they have a well-being um, working yeah. group, I think it's it's known as. Um, and I think it's quite a new um, development yeah, I think there was a lot of burnout in the practice, um, mm. in immigration practice. And, you know, the good thing about being an immigration lawyer, uh, I, I mean, if I haven't said anything good already, <laughs> but <laughs> the good thing about it is that, you know, you're not really in competition with other lawyers. So you, it, it is in your interest to work collectively. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the great thing about ILPA because there is a wider recognition that there are these cases are really tough mm-hmm. mentally on the, on the lawyer. Yeah. Um, and you know us obviously being attacked both ways. Mm-hmm. You know from from the government. <laughs> yeah. Um so it's great to have that, I'm sure. Um, and also, you are now a co-convener of Northern Ireland. I am. Group. I'm delighted. There's four of us now. So yeah, it's Yay. great. We'll give a wee shout out to Carolyn. And Maria as well. Yeah. Um, hi. W- hi. <laughs> so that's fantastic. And I do, I get what you're saying. The collaboration, if it, if we didn't have it, I, I couldn't do this job. And I moved from the Republic, or practising in Dublin 
um, I had a break and then started here and I didn't know en- really anybody. And in such a short space of time, it's been lovely yeah. to get to know because I came back here and I started working in Northern Ireland in um, 2013. And at that time, as an immigration solicitor in Belfast, there weren't many of us. There was a little, and so now there seems to be, um, you know, quite a few yeah. um, new faces and people who are specialising in different areas. So it's lovely to see. And it's great to have that collaboration because, as you said, you know, it's a tough area to work in. It's a labyrinth, mm-hmm. as you referred to earlier. Um, and But even for your own peace, your own mind and your own um, state of health, it's important to share, share your work, share the load mm-hmm. um, and also make sure that you're, you know, looking after yourself as well. Because these are, they're difficult cases, um, especially the type of work that you do. So just at the moment, is there anything interesting that you're you're working on in this wonderful area mm. of immigration? And Probably I have a case that, um, be it, actually it's an EU settlement scheme case, mm-hmm. our favourite thing. And w- uh, the rules basically state that you can bring your unmarried partner here from another country if you're a person of Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. But when you go to do the application... Uh, doesn't actually let you. Yeah. So, the yeah, IT geniuses and lawyers yes. mixing are are never good. But uh-huh. um, so uh, I'm trying to challenge that at the minute. Um, so I have a client who's here. Her partner, who she's been with for five years, lived in America together. He's now in South Africa, and they want to get married. They've had to change their wedding date umpteen times. They've mm. not got very much money left because they've both lost their jobs oh, during the pandemic. Gosh. And yeah, yeah, it's just a difficult case because it does actually affect quite, probably quite a large number of people. It will. It will. What, Sinead, I suppose what we're referring to there, the EU settlement scheme was introduced, I think, in March 2019 mm-hmm. to offer protection to EU citizens and their family members who are already in the UK. It ends, you have to be here by the 31st of December and then there's a grace period up until the 30th of June and there's kind of extensions depending on your case. But only on the 24th of August, they opened this up to people from, relevant people from Northern Ireland and their family members for the first time based on the back of the Emma D'Souza, Emma and Jake D'Souza campaign and case mm-hmm. um, which was really fantastic for so many of our clients and you've been busy Sinead I've been busy yeah. so many of us had different but it's only now and we've, we don't have much time to we're do all of November, this like we're like November and we're now noticing you know technicalities issues like you've yeah. just mentioned there Um, you know do you challenge this is there time would you submit a fresh application in the hope that the home office will change, change their it. policy mm-hmm. and just Granted. So I have a feeling in some of these cases, we've a few difficult ones where people are overseas and haven't been living in Northern Ireland um, for some time. And there seems to be a sense that they were trying to block those applications coming through. So although this was fantastic news and it really is <laughs> when it came down to the actual practice, it, yeah, it, it, very it different. turned out to be very different, which isn't really that surprising, is it? No. And I think with a window of opportunity between August and December in the middle of the pandemic and you're talking about people moving country it's mm. never going to be yeah. straightforward and the stress from clients as well I'm sure you're feeling this too Covid thrown into the mix you know I would have had people saying oh you know we'll travel in December so that gives me a little bit of time that was 
said to me months ago and now it's no we need to get there really soon we need pressure on this application so you're sensing not only Brexit is really pressurizing practitioners and individuals and clients but Covid into the mix with the prospect of maybe more restrictions in different countries every country is different and yeah Yeah, it's such a a balancing act it is a nightmare really it is like we can't even decide on our own restrictions no (laughs) and like we're different within the UK I mean look at all the differences so so it's it's a it's a minefield so just as well you are um I think activist lawyer to the core (laughs) um not only in your day job but just I have seen you sharing some stories about the work that you and a few others have been doing in respect of um refugees and asylum seekers um do you want to tell us a little bit about that um I had a mad notion for going to Calais camp um, with some of the guardians I referred to earlier in Bernardo's. So um, this is actually quite a sad story. There's a sad background to this. Um, I've always wanted to go to Calais, but this kind of um, made me want to go even more. So we had a young person um, who had come here from Eritrea and he'd spent years trying to even get here through Europe um an awful one of those boat journeys that you see and he got his status in the UK his granted refugee status which is your future um but um he, he still had his family left behind um he had younger brothers and stuff that were trapped in Sudan and you know working on farms as children um effectively like slaves and he just was really wanting to get his family back. Um, so he decided to go to London, try and gather up a lot of money, um, work really hard, get his life in order here first. And he put an awful lot of pressure on himself to do that. Um, the Guardians were still in touch. They used to go over and see him a lot. Um, but his mental health took a real toll. And unfortunately, um, he took his own life in August mm. this year, um, which was really, really devastating blow. Um because he was such a lovely young man and a pleasure to work with and the guardians were so got got it to the core because they were their, their his only people here um so we decided that we would go to Calais where he had once been um and on the anniversary of him being there which was actually this week yeah. but um because of all the quarantining and yeah. restrictions um it became impossible but we have raised a lot of money and uh, we had gone towards care for Calais uh, charity which is a fantastic charity supports volunteers going out there provides donations fantastic. ensures that um people on uh, in the camp have fresh water clo- warm clothes um mobile phones that are charged and a bit of money on them so they can contact their family members to get separated um fantastic charity and Maria who I was referring to was actually out there with them at one stage too um so we were going to go and do that and it's still in our minds to do it just hasn't been the right time but we are still collecting donations so there's priority items there's a list of priority items that are needed um and we're still i think raising money but um we are also sending stuff off in batches okay um there's a batch in january due to go and i think there's potentially more depending on the donations and stuff where could people maybe donate even items or f- funds? 
Um, I suppose just get in contact with um, myself. With and yourself, okay. Well, we'll leave Sinead's details um, on the, the post accompanying this podcast so that people can, because that's, that's so amazing and so worthwhile, and especially that story, you know, God, it really brings it home that mm-hmm. these the suffering and the mental suffering that people have after they, they get here, it's not the end of the story. You no, know? it never is. And a lot of people who do come here, they've just been pushing and pushing forward for years to get here. And it's always that future date, get to the UK, get to my family member or, you know, get to safety, get to somewhere I can be safe. Mm-hmm. And then once they do stop, the, you know, the trauma of everything that's just happened hits in a huge wave. And the, the services aren't there. Yeah. Um, you know, I see it. I see it happening to all the kids that are just mm-hmm. even in the asylum system, um, waiting, waiting, waiting mm-hmm. for the Home Office to decide their that case. in itself is just soul destroying and has such a huge impact. You know, across the country, mm-hmm. people in direct provision for seven, eight, nine, ten years. I mean, and children there too, it, and across Northern Ireland, it's just. It's awful. It doesn't bear thinking about. But that's a fantastic... So it's Care for Cali mm-hmm. is yeah. the, the organisation. That's amazing. And it's great that you, Maria, and, and people are getting involved in that. Um, so, I mean, we'll wrap up there. I mean, that's a lot. that We could probably sit here all day and talk about <laughs> immigration matters. I think, I mean, we covered um, the celebratory issues like at the end of free movement, which mm-hmm. is obviously something you know, to celebrate. <laughs> And all that that brings. We'll probably come back again, Sinead, and discuss what, in fact, it did bring. And if yeah. we are still celebrating that, and measure you the know, size of the bags. We'll, under we'll our do eyes. that. <laughs> but um, look, it's been so lovely to have you here today. Thank I'm you. so glad you came. And we'll be in contact a lot more <laughs> in the coming days. Oh, but um, thanks so much, Sinead. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And tune in for our next episode. And also remember to follow us on our blog page um, where you'll be able to even contribute yourself some written pieces so thanks again thanks Sinead thanks very much this podcast was recorded in Granite Podcast Studio interested in starting up your own podcast but don't know how Granite Podcast Studio can help record your podcast in our state-of-the-art studio which is based in the heart of Newry City Our studio has cutting-edge and user-friendly technology and can seat up to four people. We also provide an editing service for our team using your guidance and editing notes to provide you with a flawless finished product, leaving your listeners wanting more. For more information on how you can get started, visit www.granitepodcaststudio.com.